The Fabulous 413 podcast is funded by Northeast Solar, helping customers make the switch to solar for savings, energy security, and tax incentives. Learn more at northeast-solar.com. Welcome to the Fabulous 413. I'm Khalees Smith. And I'm Monty Belmonte. It's Live Music Friday, but today's band is way too loud for these Terry Gross microphones here at NEPM. So we'll take you to a warehouse studio in Chicopee and talk with two old friends from Agawam who formed the righteous punk rock duo Film and Gender. It might get a little loud. While our live music is out of the studios, the Wine Thunderdome comes into our studios or our NEPM kitchen. After a year of drinking other people's wines, Khalees and I bring a bottle of one of our very own favorites to go head-to-head to see which wine will emerge victorious. And you never know who from the NEPM crew we might corral into being our tiebreaker. Fingers crossed. We'll hear about CSA Week and the importance of farm shares to the economic bottom line of our local farmers, including Mark Rutowski of Rivershed Farm, which just relocated to Amherst. But first... My name is Joseph Charles. We are at Paper City Fabrics. It's gorgeous in here. Yes. Let's, before we talk about the bones of the building and the the history about it, let's talk about the mission of Paper City Fabrics. Sure. So Paper City Fabrics is a thrift store of fabric where everything, no matter what it is, is $4 a yard. Now this sounds familiar. (laughs) I live in Turner's Falls and for years, one of my neighbors has a shop that sells fabric for $4 a yard. They've even helped me create the March for the Food Bank outfits I have worn, including my uh, weird Barbie dress that I wore for the last March for the Food Bank. With Alex. With Alex, Alex, yes. Alex of of formerly Buckingham Rabbits Vintage. May it rest in peace. Yes, love that place. Tell me about this shared mission and vision. Yeah, so it is sort of a mission moving its way across the country, I think. Um, Catherine Greenwood Swanson started uh, Swanson's Fabrics, and we, my partner Jeffrey and I, went in there one day, and she was like, who are you? I was like, who are you? (laughs) And she said, you should do this in Holyoke. Oh, but why? Because you recognize something. I did. So Catherine had a bunch of fabrics from different various Broadway shows, and I was like, where'd you get that? She was like, how do you know what that is? And <laughs> we sort of forged a friendship. And she's been wonderful throughout this whole thing. But you knew what it, what it was because... Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, like, why felt... did you recognize the fabric? From well, Broadway I'm from Jones. New York City. Um, and so I had worked with some of the people that were in those Broadway shows. And so I recognized <laughs> the fabric from their costumes. I think that's a great origin story. And so that was how long ago to now you have a brick and mortar here on High Street in Holyoke. That was, oh my goodness, how long ago was the pandemic? Two years ago? hundred. Three, three, four, four. Well, Man, well. Isn't that weird what that does to your brain? Yes. <laughs> I, I don't remember. It was during the pandemic. <laughs> um, and we have been renovating this shop for the past year. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were selling online for a year prior to that. So where are your fabrics coming from? All over. Um, everything is donated. So we get stuff from Broadway, from movie sets, from home sewers, upholstery shops, people who have retired, everywhere. <laughs> Show us some of the stuff that's from Broadway or movie sets that might be fun. Well, I, okay, so I can't tell you what movie they're from, <laughs> um, but most of this fabric came from a movie that filmed in Boston and all of the fabrics got held up in customs and they couldn't use it. So they were like, hey, do you want it? <laughs> and so we really lucked out. <laughs> I want to ask how things get held up in customs, but having sent things abroad, like, never mind. It was during the pandemic, yeah. so. Some container ships stuck yes. in the Suez Canal. This one, I'm fascinated by, because there's just so many sequins. This is the first one I came, o- I came over and touched right away when I came in. Yeah, it's, it's it black green? with this 
all these sequins of silver and yeah. turquoise. So that actually um, came from my dear friend, Rob Donegan, who was a famous um, evening wear designer in the area who passed away uh, last year. And so his family was kind enough to say, hey, do you want all his sewing stuff? So when we open our sewing school, um, all of his machines and his notions and stuff will be back there for people to learn how to sew. The sewing school is not yet up and running, but tell us about that vision. Yeah, so in the spring, we will have sewing classes. We're gonna start with beginner sewing for children and then work our way up from there. Is it going to be in like the afternoon or weekends? Do you know when you're going to have availability for it? Um, it'll probably definitely be after school and weekends. Uh, we haven't quite figured out yet. We have a list of people who are interested and we're sort of working with them to see what they're the most interested in doing what works with school schedules and things like that. Are you, as a part of having kind of public machines, going to have like open sessions for people to just like drop in with projects and like maybe get advice when they're having problems with sergers? Am I talking about myself? Maybe. <laughs> it's good to ask sergers, questions. Sergers yes. are hard to deal with sometimes and they're unforgiving because they cut your fabric while you're sewing. What are sergers? <laughs> uh, they deal with stretchy material. You have four needles and they build kind of a knitted edge to things and it works better with knitted fabrics at holding it together and having the fabric hold its shape. Mm. Yes, so we definitely will have open sewing. We're hoping to have all sorts of events and workshops, more specific workshops like advanced quilting or tailoring, things like that. Again, Learning as- work for the drag community. Uh, yes, <laughs> uh, that's more my area of expertise, costume design, gowns, things like that. Um, once we get the space finished and opened, we'll be able to kind of figure out the schedule and where things are gonna fall. We're with Joseph at Paper City Fabrics. Not all of the fabric is paper. Um, in this gorgeous building on High Street, tell us about the history of this building. I mean, we're standing on these incredible tile floors right now. Yeah, so this building uh, was built in the 18, I believe the 1890s. It was originally a hotel. The hotel was gutted in 1920 and it was turned into a lunch counter. And that is basically what remains today, the floor, the ceiling, uh, the woodwork. And it was all sort of covered and gray when we rented the spot. This was a law office for a few years. As we took up the tile, we found the original floor. And so my partner and I scraped every inch of it by hand. <laughs> and <laughs> that was a task, um, <laughs> a lot of love. And we're, we're so glad we've done it. Um, it's gorgeous. And to put a floor down like this, we wouldn't have been able to do it. Mm -hmm. You know, it was sort of the find of the century really for us. And there's other remnants too. There's, you showed me a marble staircase back there. Yeah, so downstairs is all the original bathrooms and workrooms for, I guess, what was the kitchen and... Mm -hmm. Oh, look at your old singer up there. There's a vintage sewing machine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you have to learn, learn how to use how to sew on a, a vintage sewing machine when the classes start. We'll see. You've also got patterns and, and other types of fabrics here too, right? Yeah, so we have all sorts of patterns, notions. Uh, we have a little bit of yarn, trim, really whatever someone who sews would need. And it's all super affordable. You're a relatively new store here in Holyoke. Tell us uh, what the relationship to the community has been like so far. We have had the most wonderful response from the community. Um, here on High Street, we are working to help build up small businesses and encourage small businesses to open here. Um, a lot of people that have come down and said, oh, I remember when all of the shopping used to be on High Street before the mall opened. Mm -hmm. We love the mall, but you know, small businesses are really important, especially in a city like Holyoke. 
you and your partner are doing this uh, endeavor together. It started online. Now it's brick and mortar. What were you both doing before you decided to get into the world of thrifted fabric and the trash-rich empire that Catherine Greenwood Swanson from Swanson's Fabrics <laughs> in Turner's Falls likes to talk about? Trash-rich empire? Yeah, she, she has a tattoo that says trash-rich on her knuckles. I were, uh, both were living in New York City. Um, I was working in fashion and costume design, costuming musicals all over New York City. Uh, he was working in marketing um, at Condé Nast. And we both kind of came home one day and we were like, are you tired? I'm tired. Let's move out of the city. And he is still working in marketing. I took a little hiatus to do this. And I have sort of been the creative brain behind the whole thing for the past few years. And he has been my loving support doing all the math and paperwork that I just can't do. Sewing has its own math. It's a lot of yes. fractions. Yes. <laughs> and then hope. Paris, I say a pair of scissors and a prayer. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of hope and prayer, the Victory Theater could be a touring Broadway style theater. Is that something that the future of Paper City Fabrics with your background in costume design might want to be involved with? So I am a huge supporter of Don Sanders and the Victory Theater project. I helped plan a fundraising bar crawl last two Christmases ago. Jeez. Two Christmases ago, we did a rented a bus and we went up and down Holyoke to all the different bars and it was super fun. They have a big education program I know that they're working on once the Victory's open. So yeah, I would absolutely love to do some costume workshops and things like that. Obviously any of the tours that come through, there's not really an opportunity to work on that stuff because they have, yeah, they have come out of New York there. and all that. But if they need to unload their fabric. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a lot of those tours will actually hire local people. That's like a new thing now. Um, they'll hire local musicians for the orchestra. They'll hire local dressers, uh, but there are unions and things like that, so. But if like say a theater company wanted advice or direction on a production that was coming up, would you be available to like help or consult? Oh, absolutely, yeah. So I'm actually now doing the costumes for the musical over at Holyoke High School. I can't tell you what the musical is yet because it <laughs> hasn't been announced, uh, but it's gonna be super exciting. So I'm designing the costumes for that. I did it last year, uh, we did West Side Story and it was super fun. And so yeah, I'm always around to costume a show if anybody's looking for a costume designer. What if somebody needed a costume, say, for a food bank march and another trash rich person has created those things in the past, but it's that's in Franklin County where the march ends and maybe uh, Hamden County where the march maybe begins. Maybe you get like a Hamden County costume from a Hamden County costume designer and a Franklin County Absolutely. from a Franklin County. I don't know that I could compete with the work that Catherine and Alex have done because they're pretty <laughs> fabulous, but but I'm always up for a challenge, so. <laughs> I have ideas already, okay. which is earlier than usual okay. for me. It, so are you still selling online? Yeah, we are still selling online. Getting the shop open took a little bit of time, obviously, and the last few months have been, if I'm being honest, pretty stressful, but we're open and we're so excited. Um, so online did take a bit of a back burner, but now that we're open, we're hoping to start uploading. We used to upload once a week, uh, pretty big drops of fabric. Uh, we're hoping, soon to start doing that again with regularity. Some cities and towns have decided that fabric must not go to the landfill. And that is another big part of the kind of mission, both of, of, of Swanson's and here at Paper City Fabrics, right? Absolutely. Yeah, so there's some new laws and stuff that you can't throw certain fabric out. That's where we come in, you know, and we try to do our best with what we can. We take everything. That doesn't mean it's always sellable or usable, uh, but we'll take it and then we will dispose of it as we can. 
So if people do have a lot of fabric, but there are a lot of people who have sewed and maybe mm -hmm. have overpurchased over the years and would like to see it go to a good home, what's the best way to get that stuff to you? They can shoot us an email, which is info at papercityfabrics.com, and we can coordinate either a pickup or a drop-off. And look forward to classes on upcycling the fabric that is in not necessarily the fabric forms later in the future, because there's lots of ways that you can do that. Joseph Charles, co-owner of Paper City Fabrics, now open on High Street in Holyoke. I'm super excited. Later in the show, Live Music Friday gets loud with the punk rock duo Film and Gender. And Monty and I enter a wine thunderdome of our own making when we each bring a bottle of Alpine-influenced wine to battle in the NEPM kitchen of all places. Look, Julia Child used to do it in our parent company studio. <laughs> but up next, it's CSA Week. We'll hear from CESA and Rivershed Farm in Amherst about why farm shares are an important economic model if supporting local agriculture is something that matters to you. And it does. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on 88.5 NEPM. Yeah, these microphones are designed for Terry Gross, not the uh, the loud expert of laughing <laughs> yeah. that Kalise and I often are prone I to learned, do. Like, my core strength was always good, but it comes in really handy when, when have I back. have like, ah, <laughs> lean way <laughs> back. <clears throat> All right. Like Fat yeah. Joe. This week is CSA Week, a, a national push encouraging folks to sign up for community supported agriculture or farm shares and it's time for a local hero spotlight not with csa but c-i-s-a which everyone is, confuses them. it is confusing um you know because you both work with farms and that's jacob nelson from cisa community involved in sustaining agriculture the local hero folks and we are talking with a farm share farmer mark rudkowski farmer and owner of rivershed farm in amherst to talk about your farm and to talk about your csa program uh jacob maybe you know this so a little bit, the concept of farm shares is not necessarily a well-established for generations practice. Can you talk a little bit about farm shares and their development over the course of like the last 20 years or so? Especially in the Valley in the past 20 years or so, there's been a proliferation of people offering some sort of farm share where you, you pay up front for the guarantee of produce, or we have them for all sorts of things now, you know, meat and eggs and fruit and all sorts of add-ons you can put into a farm share these days. They're there's getting, beer farm shares. There's beer farm shares. Yeah. So we've taken this concept and we've really expanded it to the whole bounty that that our, our region of the 413 produces. Um, and they've been getting more popular in the past 20 years for sure. The concept, though, is a lot older. There's a tradition of particularly black farmers in the American South like 100 years ago that were doing something very similar to a CSA model. Kind of, because we had to. Yeah. Have, and then they made it illegal for us to do it. So, like, yes. So that's more than I know about. <laughs> but but I do know that that's important to talk about when we're talking about the heritage of this model of paying up front to support farmers so that they can do their work with a little bit less financial anxiety and giving ourselves the present of knowing that we're going to have fresh produce all summer long. Or um, knowing that you're taking a shared risk with the farmer when the produce isn't to the level that it's at. So it, it really becomes an investment. And you could think of an investment like a speculative investment in, in Wall Street and decide you're going to hope that someday there'll be a return on your investment but may lose the bank. Or you could decide you're going to invest in local agriculture and your local farmers and you, again, you share that risk. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb here, Mark, with a farm called Rivershed Farm in Amherst with the wet season last year, maybe it was not an ideal growing season for you, or maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, it was a difficult season for us. It was our first season in Amherst. It was your first season last year? Our first season in that lo particular in that location, location in, in, in Amherst. It, at Amethyst Farm. Yes, yes, that's right. We did have um, 
crop lost due to the heavy rains we experienced. Where was your farm before it was nestled within Amethyst Farm? Rivershed Farm actually began uh, in Beverly, Massachusetts in 2019. We were part of the Tufts New Entry for Sustainable Agriculture Incubator Farm Program. Um, So we were in Beverly for three seasons. During that time, we had this extensive search for land because we knew we'd only be there for three years. We managed to find a plot in Haydenville at Valley View Farm. David and Susie hosted us there for um, our first year in the Valley. And then through my network of farmers, I learned about this property that was becoming available in Amherst. The previous farm manager, Ryan Carb of Many Hands Farm, was there for over a decade. And we're fortunate enough to to benefit from his hard work. He he built up this CSA membership that we're, we are uh, striving to maintain and, and build upon. It's CSA Week, a national push to try to get people to support local agriculture by buying a so-called farm share in advance of the growing season so that the farmer has cash to work with. And the farmer we're talking with right now is Mark Rutkowski, farmer and owner of Rivershed Farm in Amherst, and not CSA, but CESA and Jacob Nelson. I'm just going to add to the confusion that's already existed for as long as I've known your organization. I welcome. just call them, that's why I always call you the local hero folks. Yeah, welcome to the acronym soup that is working in the nonprofit world. <laughs> um, we okay. don't know anything about that working yeah. here at NEPM. WFCR, NEPR. What are we? Who are we? Maybe instead of talking about the acronym soup, we could talk about some of the great vegetables and other things that you're growing at the farm there that could end up in some delicious soup if you were a CSA member. Nice segue, Jacob. Sure. Sure. Nice segue. (laughs) Um, Yeah, we grow a a wide variety of vegetables, many different varieties of tomatoes, cucumbers, peppers, turnips, radishes, leafy greens, spinach, uh, salad mix. Um, My wife, Shauna, also grows about an acre of cut flowers. Are there any other difficulties that you faced or things that were easier being on the coast as opposed to being here and farming? I don't know, because the Valley is such a rich agricultural community, more so than uh, in the Boston area, I mm. found. I, I, I find it, uh, there's a lot more support, and it's um, just a great place to be farming. So there's so many more farms around you that if something goes wrong, you have more people that you can go and call on their wisdom? Right, absolutely. Better support network. Yeah, yes. there you go. There That's we good go. stuff. That's Mark Rutkowski, the farmer and owner of Rivershed Farm in Amherst. We're talking about farm shares and CSAs this farm CSA week. Tell me about your farm share, Mark. Well, we, we heard a lot of feedback from our customers that they wanted to have a, a greater connection to the farm. So we are going to try something new and allow them to harvest a, a certain percentage of their CSA every week. So they can go out into the field and pick tomatoes and pick cucumbers, blackberries, raspberries, strawberries, and uh, add that as part of their CSA share. That's amazing because they're paying you to work your fields. That's right. But pick your own is like a really fun part of CSAs when it's available. Yes. We were shocked when we heard that people were willing to pick their own piece. It's so labor intensive. Um, Yeah, we're going to try this out and we think we're expecting a lot of success with it. How do you talk about the reasons why someone might want to join any CSA, but yours in particular? If they want to be immersed in nature, if they want to have a closer connection to where their food is being grown, and if they want to participate in harvesting that food, they should really check out Rivershed Farm. You are one of the farms in the area. Not everybody has both a a summer and fall and a winter share. This is the first time we've done a winter share. It's it's a lot smaller. Um, We had fewer people, people sign up for it. 
it's important that people understand that in order for us to have a winter share, like that begins now. That begins now in February. The, those squashes are going to be little seedlings now. Our CSA members won't receive them until the winter, but that all begins right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if if we have a bad season, there are downstream effects for the winter share. Jacob Nelson from CESA, the local hero folks who have uh, lots of access to farms that have CSAs, you must hear feedback from other farmers about the importance of farm shares. And this, again, is sort of a national agricultural push to encourage people when they might not be thinking about the growing season in February to think about it. Tell us some of the feedback that you and CESA hear from the other farms in our area. We often hear from other farms in the area is that CSAs are a really important part of their business and what they do. There's a handful of farms that it's all that they do. Everything mm. that their farm is about is growing food for their farm share members. Oftentimes it's it's fit into other ways that they're getting their food and flowers and fiber out to people, whether they're selling retail at a farm stand right on site to anybody, um, whether they're selling wholesale to a local grocery store or a co-op or something like that. There is such a support from the community for local farms and such an interest in being directly engaged with the people that grow their, their food that a lot of farms do have really, really strong CSA programs and membership um, that can do what that model is designed and really support them through the season. Ryan Carb and Many Hands Farm stopped farming at that land on Amethyst Farm in Amherst, which is a mouthful to say, <laughs> I, will, I will acknowledge. Um, and a lot of those members maybe didn't know you more than a year ago, but have followed the farmer tied to that land and are now um, enjoying produce grown by you and Shauna. And I just, I wonder, you know, is there anything interesting to share about what that relationship was like? Yeah, we we were really fortunate that Ryan had built up a lot of goodwill in our neighborhood, and we were able to uh, to take on a lot of his CSA members, and they welcomed us with open arms. I guess I'm a little bit used to always uh, <laughs> being the new farmer in town since we've moved we've moved the farm around so many times. <laughs> um, it's it's nice to be able to look ahead and realize, I think we'll be here five years from now. Yeah, I don't think we get to talk to many people who are like, so we packed up the farm and moved it to X place. Packed up the farm and we moved from Beverly, (laughs) Mass, that is. I don't know how none of us saw that I would like to invest in the black gold Texas tea (laughs) farm share. I just saw Killers of the Flower Moon, so forget it. (laughs) For those sorts of things, Ixnay on the black gold A. Yeah. Also, your CSA runs, I'm looking at the, the dates for it, it runs relatively late. 26 weeks. Yeah, mm-hmm. that is a mm-hmm. really long it's a half share. year vegetables. It's a long year, um, but we just took a look at what other farms are doing. We wanted to, you know, what's a nice way to say compete? We wanted to be players in the valley as a farm. <laughs> I, we heard from members, like we were, this is what they're expecting, a full spring, summer, and fall of vegetables. And then you know, it's a short month before the winter share starts up again. Our hope is that eventually we'll be able to offer 12 months of vegetables with little or no interruption. Wow. wow. It is an investment that you make up front as a CSA member into a farm. I wish that more often when we talked about farm shares, we talked about ways that they can be paid for and made affordable because there are a lot of CSA farm shares in the Valley that you can buy using your SNAP benefits or even using HIP, the Healthy Incentives Program. There's also um, a couple different, my health insurance company at least, offers uh, a reimbursement that can be spent on health and wellness things. It includes a CSA farm share, which is pretty cool. And there's at least one local bank that offers a zero interest farm share loan. We also accept SNAP benefits at Rivershed. That's great. 
See? It's CSA Week. It's put on by nationally by the National Resource for Local Farms. But CSA are our local hero folks, talking about farm shares week in and week out and all of our beautiful bounty here in the 413. And if you're looking for a farm share, there are some available at Rivershed Farm in Amherst with the new-ish to Amherst, especially farmer Mark Rutkowski and his wife, Shauna. Thank you both so much. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Up next, the White Thunderdome comes to the NEPM kitchen when Monty and I each pit an alpine wine against each other to see which one rules the day. And later in the show, Live Music Friday leaves the NEPM studios for a rehearsal space in Chicopee with the punk rock duo Film and Gender. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on 88.5 NEPM. It feels like we need to be quiet because we're in the newsroom here at NEPM and people are doing news things. But for a number of reasons, not least of which the person we were gonna drink with this week didn't wanna drink with us because my wife had tested positive for COVID last weekend. We are doing the wine Thunderdome ourselves. Calise brought a wine, I brought a wine, two wines enter, one wine leaves. It's a conceit that we created or that the wine son from State Street created a year ago. It's been a year since we've been doing this, Calise. I know, it's an interesting anniversary to have us bring the wine ourselves. And you came up with an idea that we would get wine from our own wine storage facilities. Which is hilarious because I only really started storing and like building like a cache of things to have in my house since starting the show with you. But then when I brought it up, you said, I don't keep wine in the house. No, I have a half a bottle of vodka and one bottle of champagne. That's it right now. Neither of which are we're going to drink at this point. So you then came up with another theme, one of which is one of the wines you had in your house. Yes. But the theme is? Alpine wines. Wines from near the Alps. What wine did you bring here to this wine that I brought le, um, well, how do you say 13 in French? Which is from the French Alpine region, Le Coeur de Gogette. Mm-hmm. And what grape is this? Do we know? It is 50% Gamay and 50% Mondouce. Mondouce! <laughs> my favorite grape to say. And Gamay, one of my least favorite grapes. <laughs> Two strawberry E. <laughs> Uh, and you got yours at Dare Bottle Shop and Provisions, where I, we'll be next week. I did, I did. I went to go pick up other bottles because, again, apparently I collect now. I just drink. <laughs> That's why I don't collect. They're gone. And Ben Dare said, do you have a second? And I said, of course I do. And he showed me two wines from this vineyard, and I thought they were both lovely, so I brought them both home. Okay. And so then I took that trope of Alpine wines and went to State Street, where the Wine Thunderdome was created, and went to my one of my favorite Alpine regions, we wanted to do Alpine Reds, too. Yes. So there's so many good Alpine Whites. tons of Alpine Whites. I think that they're much easier to find and easier to drink. Yeah. So, um, But for me, Alpine Red is Piemonte, Piedmont, in northern Italy, right in the foothills of the Alps, and uh, one of the, the great grapes there. This is an, a 100% Nebbiolo from Guido Bono, which also sounds so much with like my heritage if you see pictures of my dad in the 1970s <laughs> oh my god talk about guido chains large toupee giant mustache all of it i also think really funny like about this and us bringing these two wines is that i i don't think we could have picked more stereotypical for our taste wines to bring to taste with each other now, Classical NEPM's John Nowacki was sniffing the bottles which we started to open. He loved the smell of yours, and he hated the smell of mine. Well, we can get him to come and taste this at all is up in the air, as is, I know Kari and Jiri's over there working, and he's a wine guy, but he's such a diligent news reporter that he doesn't even want to sip and spit. Which one do you want to drink first? Uh, 
Let's drink yours first. Okay. Well, mine's going to be softer. I yours, think so too. Yours is going to have a lot more structure to yeah. it. So maybe we start with mine, I guess, in that case, so we're not, so it doesn't get beat up on the palate by yours. 50% Gamay and 50% Mondu. Yes. Do you know about Mondus? Oh, as a grape? No. As a grape? Yeah. I know Gamay is the grape of Beaujolais, and especially if you drink Beaujolais Nouveau, is often over-the-top strawberry bubblegum fruity, which is kind of why I don't like Gamay, but I have had so many good Cru Beaujolais, you know, Beaujolais Village, where that Gamay grape is much less fruity bubblegum and and much more reserved, refined, the way I like it. I mean, there's a little bit of that, that high sweet fruit in this, but I get flowers. I still get flowers. And that's what drew you to it in the first place. Mm-hmm. It's light in color. It is light Not unlike color. a Pinot Noir. No. Uh-oh, our intern <laughs> Sinai just walked in on us drinking. And then, you know, gotta do what you gotta do. Don't blow the whistle on us, yeah. Sinai. What do we got here? Oh, we don't even know if you're of legal age. I'm you're 22. in college. I'm 22. Sure, let's see some ID. Maybe we'll let the intern have some after. We're gonna need a tiebreaker. We might need a tiebreaker. Well, yeah, because you're going to think that yours is the best, and I'm going to think that mine is the best, but not necessarily. Who knows? Not necessarily. Yeah. Tell me about your Nebbiolo. Nebbiolo, Longe Nebbiolo, Guido Bono, 2021, mm. Foothills of the Alps. Nebbiolo is, uh, you know, one of the noble red grapes of Italy for sure. It's 100% of that. It has uh, the wine purveyors that sell this would tell you that this probably wants to age longer and we did decant them we didn't decant them but we did at least open them a, a good, little bit earlier a good while ago about 40 minutes so it had a little bit of a chance to breathe mm-hmm. similar in color as as yours it is it's much lighter than i was expecting yours definitely has a strawberry cherry funk i like that mm. and flowers like you said oh lynn's catching us drinking on the job <laughs> we got a glass for you lynn Whiskey, but okay, we'll do a whiskey <laughs> thunderdome coming up. Let me know. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> How are we going to be bon vivants if we don't do it while we're here in the office? Really, this is research. Yeah, you want to yeah, research with us? Um, I think it would probably be not advisable at this moment. Okay. For me too. But I don't know. I can't. I don't know wine speak the way you do. Yeah. Tema does a lot of our commentaries here, but you you got to work, so you don't want to do it. So sorry. I must get to my desk. Oh, okay. <laughs> See, this is the kind <laughs> diligent news department we have here at NEPM. Cannot awesome. be tempted. But we're working. We, this is part of our job. This is our job. Although this is a part of our job that we made up as part of our job that they just haven't stopped us from doing yet. All right. Which one are you voting for? I mean, I like yours, but I like flowers. That's why I brought flowers. So Khalees votes for her Gamay wine from France. I'm going to vote for my Longue Nebbiolo from Guido Bono from Northern Italy. Less fruity. More reserved, more austere, more my style, which means we need a tiebreaker. Mm-hmm. But now we got to go find a tiebreaker. Who is going to be brave enough to do it? Probably John Nowacki. He just finished his show. Let's find him. One three's on the prowl. Yeah. Hide, hide. All right, so we know Kari is working. He ran away. There's only one person we want on the third floor. Should we bother John Nowacki, who's working on classical music stuff? Yes. John Nowacki, yeah. do you want to be our tiebreaker for this wine, Thunderdome? Yes, I'd be glad to. Come on over. Yes. <laughs> Classical host John Nowacki. I don't want to play favorites in the building about people that we've gotten to know over this last year, but I have. And we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> you just say that because I'm another pretty face. That's true. Well, no, that's an addition. Oh, oh an addition. No? We got one. Yes. Lamb to the slaughter. Yes. We'll do it the way we did it. This is the 13 Lunes from France okay, near this. the Alps. It is uh, half Gamay and half Mondeuse. Hmm. Fruity? Not very deep. 
kind of a little bit shallow. That's nice. What would it go with, though? I mean, you wouldn't want to just sit and sip this. You'd want to have something. I would, yeah. I mean, well, <laughs> it's not so it's not so grippy that it want, needs food to mellow it no, out. No, but if if you were having it with something, what would you my, what might you pair that with? Soft cheese. Soft cheese. Absolutely, yes. Okay. Okay, so you can either finish that or dump it you out. You can dump it if you want. Yeah, He responsibly dumped it out, which is what never, we were cheering never about. Never dump it out. <laughs> Wine number two, Guido dump. Bono. Now this is the one. Longe Nebbiolo. This is the one that when it was first opened. And I was just kind of sniffing a little bit. I'm like, eh, I'm not so sure about this. Mm-hmm. Okay. Nebbiolo is the noble grape of northern Italy. Mm. Wow. <laughs> it's not Barolo and Barbaresco, but it's it's no. getting there. That is lovely. You know, that's a real surprise because when I initially was sniffing around it before. <laughs> um, we just had them hanging out near our desk. Yeah, really. No, um, but in all seriousness, just initially after you open it, 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 this is a classic case where you have to have a wine, uh, a red wine in particular, you have to let it breathe a little bit. You mm-hmm. just have to, because otherwise you're getting a nose full of just kind of eh, yes. confusion. But that's really nice, really fruity. So if you had to choose today what wine to go home with, which one would you choose? He's choosing the Definitely. Yes, John Nowacki. Definitely. I knew you were my favorite. Definitely. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. That's okay. I'll take my flowers and go home. It's kind of a tough call, but I'm a fi- I like Italian wines anyway, yeah. in general. So that makes perfect sense to me. If this were an opera, which one would you prefer? Oh, definitely the Italian. <laughs> are we going to talk about all the years that Lully just destroyed everybody else? Like, what do we get in French opera? We have, like, this entire, like, blank spot where there's nothing. You can hear John Nowacki on Classical NEPM every weekday from 9 until 1. It's been a pleasure working with you this Thank past you so year. Much. You're going to be on soon with the Springfield Symphony. Yep. <laughs> Here's your five bucks. Yeah. When we talk about Looney Tunes and, and uh, classical music. But let's say all cheers to a good uh, a good no, year so empty. far. You gotta, yeah, oh, you gotta, you gotta put a little bit in there. Go ahead. Look, 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 look. Cheers. Cheers. Salute. Salute. Okay, now engineers Betsy and Bart, dig in. Okay, <laughs> you're forcing my hand, I guess. Yeah. Other glass. Kari and Jerry, despite our best efforts to get you to drink midday with us for the wine Thunderdome, you wouldn't do it. It's because I'm a swallower. <laughs> you couldn't spit. <laughs> <laughs> it's Live Music Friday, and this one is going to get loud, real loud. So we're leaving the NEPM studios to visit the band Film and Gender at their rehearsal space in Chicopee. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on 88.5 NEPM. It's a very special Live Music Friday on The Fabulous 413, where we're bringing you live music, but we're not in the studio. We are going... Our studios can't handle this. No. With the Terry Gross microphones that we have in the studio, <laughs> they would blow the microphone processors out of the water. But we're at us studio in so Chicopee. they hear us on the classical station. Yeah. We're at us studio in Chicopee with the band Film and Gender, who we've referenced on the show before as part of the local punk scene but what's your name i'm isley and where are you from i'm from agawam but now i live in east hampton what's your name and i'm brett i am also from agawam nice so this is uh i'm gonna say solidly agawam band even though we're in chicken yeah that's fair yeah Yeah, that's absolutely fair yeah (laughs) excellent tell us about the formation of this band it's a two-piece so me and brett have been playing music together probably since um, my junior in high school so since like 2015 i want to say and we had our own band um just we used to play in his basement a while back and we started a band around that time called the chimneys which brett is still a part of yeah. and then i left that band a couple of years ago and then COVID hit and that kind of reset everything in the music scene locally but just us personally and then once we both got vaccinated as a way to kind of do something together because we're best friends um we just came to his, this space which brett's band practice at the time still does i learned to play bass 
Brett had always wanted, knew how to play drums, but never had really like been on, on a serious yeah, project. Drums is my, uh, it was my second instrument. I'm usually a guitarist, but I wanted to uh, kind of experiment with something new, and it was a good way to do it with just bass and drums. It's definitely a unique. You don't see that too much. The bass that you'll be playing is is it fills the whole room, even though it's just you and drums. Yeah. So I use a Fender Standard Action humbucker pickups, so it's really loud to double the pickups, and I run it through two amps. I have a big TC Electronic 250 combo amp, and I run that into a vocal PA, which I use as a second amp, and that kind of that fills the room. And I crank the gain, crank the treble, crank the the tube drive. So it's just it just it's the grottiest feedback tone, but like it, it feels settings built into. Yeah, the, yeah, into no, I don't the use any pedals. No pedals. I'm not I like to dance around. I like to move around. I don't like being. I don't want to like sit somewhere at the a pedal. I, I set up my bass to the, the on the, the amp how I like it to begin a set, and I'm lucky if I even tune the bass once throughout the entire set. Honestly, <laughs> it, you kind of just go from there. Which is nice because basses don't need to be tuned as much, and you're playing that bass intensely. Oh yeah, I go through like I go. I use flat bone strings. I'm uh, always I'm always changing strings. Like, yeah, yeah. Every I don't other know how to change on. strings. So like every probably like twice a month, I'm going through like a hundred dollars of strings a month. Wow. Oh! Like, I, I, the bass I, strings that is a ton. I mean, I'm, I snap the. E string on my bass all the time because I'm just I when I slap I mean when I learn how to play bass I, I'm mostly Brett showed me some but I'm mostly self taught yeah. for better and for worse <laughs> and like I'm like oh you slap the bass so I just like full hand like like yeah. slap it like you're smacking someone's face almost yeah, yeah. like yeah I never really learned how to do anything else and then I pick for the rest of the song if the song's not entirely on the E string then I'll use a pick. Nice. It's the fabulous four one three live music Friday. Let's hear something from Film and Gender.
the name come from? Film so, and gender. It was the last class I needed to get my bachelor's degree. Uh, <laughs> and the acronym, which I won't mention. Um, <laughs> that totally lost to me until right now. Wow, yeah, interesting. Uh, um, that's yeah, we, we, we an honest coincidence. It took pretty quick to figure it out, but like it works. I mean, uh, I, I kind of I caught myself before I knew it. Taking back ownership of that? Or? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, a little yeah. bit of that, and just it's fun to play into. Tell us about like the ethos of the band. Like A lot of the songs we're going to have to do edits of, which is another reason why it's good that we're here in the studio as opposed to at our studio. We're going to have to hit the delay button a million different times and hope uh, that it's working but they're they're really um fun but some people might be a tiny bit offended by them yeah i mean i i'm when i write songs i am not afraid to put a lot of expletives in and yeah. I, I like i talk a lot about sex and gender in my songs um and i don't like to sugarcoat it because i mean one of the major messages of this band is like anti-cis heteronormativity anti-monogamy just like being who you want to be loving who you want to want like expressing yourself how you want to be and i think censoring that in any way or like using analogies or metaphors to kind of cloak that is not anything I am interested in doing honestly it's just like part of the scene in the culture too like I remember when we first started a few years ago like we didn't know a whole lot of bands similar to us but like now we have there, we made so many friends and like other bands with like similar similar enough music and it's just like it's so awesome to see do you feel freer to write those types of songs the songs you're writing for this band than you did in your previous band the Chinese it was a completely different kind of band as well yeah Ch- I was I was the vocals in that band I did most of the songwriting as far as like where we get influences for what when I, when I write music um, there's some punk in there like uh, but it got me really like in the punk sphere was listening to the dead milkman their bass tone i tried to mimic that and then i eventually like mutilated it and it became what it came now um but like my major inspiration for writing music now when i listen like genre wise i listen to a lot of hip-hop uh-huh. 80s 90s hip-hop uh, souls of mischief hieroglyphics boogie down productions not that i'm like rapping any of our songs but like i think a lot of the message in those songs um, obviously different cultures as far as where the where punk and um, hip-hop comes from, but I think they're very similar in how they're constructed musically, especially what we do with just bass and drums, because old-school hip-hop especially is just a beat, drum machines, and vocals over that for the most part, and then we're literally just drums, bass, and then me yelling over it. And a lot of the messages in those songs, I think, have some cross-pollination. Which is interesting because a lot of 80s and 90s hip-hop is cisgendered, misogynistic in its own way. And I, I mean, I love it, too, and listen to it. So that's interesting, though, that your aesthetic and ethos and lyrics are a counter to that, but that you're getting so much inspiration from hip-hop. Talk about that. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of misogyny in, in hip-hop, like a lot of male aggre- aggression. I kind of I like that. Some of, the, some of the male aggression stuff I like, I should say. Uh-huh. Where as far as like being, being, on, being on the offense um, and talking about... And writing message that like we have the power to change things rather mm. than that I like to be optimistic in my lyrics not just be like oh the world sucks because it does but um, <laughs> but there's there's hope and we can band together and we can make change if we want to make change and we have the power to do that and we have the power to make community and talk about what you know what what faces queer people we're speaking with Isley and Brett from Film and Gender this live music Friday special edition in their studio in Chicopee which is like 15 by 15 square room with tons of equipment and amazing like art on the walls and all these interesting drum heads that have drawings on them and signed and things like that <laughs> and it's, it's cool we've made friends with so many other bands in here too um some cool guys we've actually played shows with some of them so it's cool that there's kind of a whole lot of music going on in this small section of this building yeah, like not where you think it would be but there's like probably between all the spaces somewhere between like somewhere around 20 bands wow, of, all, of all sorts of music making music and practicing music and, and we here. discovered earlier has been for about like 15 ish yeah. years yeah. because i have played here that's great and i mean in the grand scale of things it's pretty cheap and it's a pretty secure area as far as rehearsal spaces we're pretty lucky to be in here Talk about the greater, I guess, punk rock musical community. You do a lot of shows at 10 Forward and Greenfield and yeah. places like that, but there's a 
an underground scene too. Yeah, of course, whether it's Western Mass or Providence or Boston where we're playing, there's DIY venues that are in basements. We played in churches and living rooms, in attics. An attic was a good one. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) in libraries. But that's where I uh, feel that the punk scene's at its most at its most pure to me because it's everyone you know five bucks to get in. I love being eye level with people. I don't like yeah. being on a big stage, I, especially like this is intimate music. I want to be looking in people's eyes, and I like to go into the crowd when I'm playing, and mm-hmm. I don't want that big stage separating me. And I think those kind of spaces are um, much more less intimidating and, and more inclusive to people in the area. I mean, there's a lot of we have all the colleges around here, and those definitely fuel the Western Mass music scene. Uh, UMass Amherst and Smith to be specific um there's a lot going on in amherst and hadley and northampton fueled by all the great like legitimately great bands that are getting put together by people our age and younger in their you know late teens early 20s and in the diy scene doesn't matter if you know if you're, if you're a musician you're someone who's booking shows you're someone who's running door or if you're just attending like those are all really really important aspects like, you know if people didn't come out the shows we'd be playing in front of nobody yeah. um it's it's all every, every person has their part in the scene it's also like important to feel like that you can go and see a really awesome very energetic really well done show for less than like sixty dollars you don't always have to pay oh, like yeah, 30. Yeah. like you I can feel... always see like something really cool like mad cheap <laughs> yeah like when i'm putting together shows i feel bad charging more than 10 bucks honestly i usually do 10 because i like to pay bands or get bands from other scenes to come out to western math because i think it's important for that cross-pollination um and like i like getting more queer bands more bands that are led by femme people or p- people of color out here because we don't have a lot of that unfortunately and you know like, like right here we don't have enough we don't have enough <laughs> yeah and like we need to make enough money when we're playing a show to at least make sure these bands are making gas money at least so you, we need to charge something i would i would charge nothing if i could honestly <laughs> it's live music friday and we're in chicopee with bill and gender let's Let's hear something else. Oh! 
it's a very special Live Music Friday on the Fabulous 413, where we're bringing you live music, but we're not in the studio. We're at a studio in Chicopee with the band Film and Gender. I want to go back to something you said before, uh, that this music is very intimate, because I don't think that people would assume that music this loud could be intimate. Like, I get it, but could you get into that just a little bit? The intimacy in the music, I think, is from the community. It attracts, almost, um, because the punk music scene is, you know, full of queer people. People, uh, as I said before, like, aren't a part of, you know, our normal hegemony. And that vulnerability you need in, in the pit or just in, in, at a show makes for a lot of personal connections and a lot of trust, especially. You know, if people are dancing and marching around, like I said, people might get hit. But, you know, everyone has trust that, hey, you know, if I hit someone, if I get a I'm going to pick them up. I'm going to get picked up. For musician uh, audience being eye level is really important because it, it puts you on an equal playing field. Our, the best shows are like ping pong matches where we give them some energy. <laughs> they throw it back even harder. We throw it back even harder. And it's just like a car crash until the end. It's excellent. It's beautiful. It's a huge adrenaline rush, and it's like what I live for. Film and Gender performs tonight in Northampton and has a bunch of other shows lined up for the spring. Check out their Instagram page for more details of where you can get your genderqueer punk on with them. Next week on The Fabulous 413, we'll hear about defining a healthy democracy through the prism of language with Amherst College's Professor Ilan Stabans. We'll learn about the intersection of the environment, health, and race with UMass Amherst Professor Malcolm Sen. We'll hear some of the history of the raid on Deerfield and commemorate to the day the 320th anniversary of the Deerfield Massacre. And live music with Valley Band Eavesdrop playing Holyoke next weekend. Thanks to our tireless Fabulous 413 team. We'll see you Monday on the Fabulous 413. Have a good weekend!